Jesus' name. It seems as though our mind's just a little scattered this morning. Would you stand with me right now? And one more time, offer up a sacrifice of thanksgiving and worship unto the Lord your God. Mm, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, Lord Jesus, in your name. Hallelujah. Come on, somebody. Come on, give him a little bit more. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. I will bless your name, Lord, at all times. Your praise will be continually in my mouth. Hallelujah. Oh, Lord Jesus. Praise God, praise the Lord. Amen, amen. Good to be in the house of the Lord. Amen, amen. I believe as we get closer to the end of this thing, Brother Charles, this place is going to become more and more precious. Time for playing church is over. Long gone. But this is a precious place. God, amen. Nobody tried harder to get to church than Brother Preston. He's among the wretched today. We have him in isolation because he's a little puny today, but he's still in church. Amen. I admire someone like that, I tell you. I really do. I think a lot of them, that young man, praise God. If you have your Bibles, we're going to get into the Word of the Lord. Seems like we got somebody here that's been to General Conference. Say something to us, Reverend.
Amen. Praise the Lord. The book of Ezra, chapter 3. Beginning at the 10th verse. And when the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, they set the priest in their apparel with trumpets, and the Levites, the sons of Asaph, with cymbals, to praise the Lord after the ordinance of David, king of Israel. And they sang together by chorus and praising and giving thanks unto the Lord, because he is good, for his mercy endureth forever toward Israel. And all the people shouted with a great shout, and they praised the Lord, because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. But many of the priests and Levites of the chief of the fathers who were ancient men that had seen the first house when the foundation of this house was laid before their eyes wept with a loud voice. Many shouted aloud for joy so that the people could not discern the noise of the shout of joy from the noise of the weeping of the people. For the people shouted with a loud shout, and the noise was heard far off. Also in your hearing today, James one seventeen. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. One more final passage of Scripture is in Hebrews 13 and verse 8. One verse of scripture. You've heard it quoted many times. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and forever. Turning your attention back to Ezra, where I'll be taking my thought from this morning. In the 12th verse of chapter 3, it says, But many of the priests and Levites and chief of the fathers who were ancient men, 
had seen the first house when the foundation of this house was laid before their eyes, wept with a loud voice, and many shouted for joy, so that the people could not discern the noise of the shout of joy from the noise of the weeping of the people. For the people shouted with a loud shout, and the noise was heard afar off. This morning, I want to bring this thought and message to your hearts and minds, and I shall entitle it, It's All a Matter of Perception. It's all a matter of perception. Dear Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, for the scriptures that we have read. Thank you, Lord, for your spirit that is among us today. We ask, O oh Lord God, that your word would go forth and let it not return void. O oh God, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, I pray, Lord God, that every word that is spoken, Lord God, that it would be received from the hearts of men and women here today. Lord, in Jesus' name, your word is never bound, O oh God. And we pray, O oh Lord God, that you would move in the remainder of this service. Speak to our hearts, O oh God, in the name of Jesus Christ. And everyone said, Amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing in honor of God's word being read. Just a matter of perception. Perception. Exactly what is perception? One translation or definition of perception is the ability to see, hear, or to become aware of something through the senses. To perceive, to understand, to receive something into your spirit. I remember the first time that I went to a large mountain. There are mountains all across the United States. There's the Smoky Mountains. Uh, there's the Appalachian Mountains. Uh, there's the Rocky Mountains. And then there's the mountains, um, I can't think of the name of them, that's in Yosemite. It's, a, it's another higher ridge than even the Rocky Mountains. Do what? No, it's called something else. But nonetheless, they're, they're majestic and they're powerful to be able to go to a mountain and to look from the base of it and to look up. It's, it, it's, uh, it can be an humbling experience. This is Sierra, Sierra Mountains is what it's called in um, Yosemite. I remember the first time that I went to the Sierra Mountains in Yosemite. Uh, they, they run the stretch all the way down that backbone of California. And those are probably the tallest mountains that I've been on, with the exception of perhaps those that were in uh, Glacier Park 
up in northern Montana, uh, 11,000, 12,000, 15,000 feet elevation. And it's, it's, it's a, a majestic view to be able to see them in all of their grandeur. To be able to stand at the base and to look up and to think that there's something that is uh, greater than you. Now, we know that the Lord God Almighty is greater, but I'm referring to finite things around us. But yet, when you take the time to go up onto that mountain, and you began to see from the mountain down, your perception changes. What you saw from the base of the mountain to the top of the mountain is nothing in comparison to when you go up on top of that mountain and you look down and you can see for miles and miles depending on the weather. It is a matter of perception. It is a matter of how that you saw it with your senses and when you saw it and how you received that into your mental capacity. We read of the story of the beginnings of the second temple that was built. The first temple was a grandeur temple indeed. It was built under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost. The Lord moved upon Solomon. David had a desire to do it, but yet God rejected him because uh, he was a man of war. That was the excuse that was given. So it was given and passed on down to Solomon. And Solomon spent a great deal of time and I want to give you just a little bit of brief understanding of just how great that this place was. Solomon's temple was began being built somewhere around 966 B.C. and was used for nearly 400 years until it was destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar in 586 B.C. Later we find that the second temple was built in somewhere around 520 B.C. and was used until 20 B.C. The temple was described this way from the things that I could gather from Bible Dictionary. This is from McClintock and Strong Encyclopedia. It says, quote, The workmen and materials employed in the erection of the temple were cheaply procured by Solomon from Hiram, king of Tyre, who was rewarded by a liberal importation of wheat. Josephus states, and Josephus being a historian that is noted, states that duplicates of the letter which passed between Solomon and King Hiram were still existent in his time, both at Jerusalem and among the Tyrrhenian records. He informs us that the persons employed in collecting and arranging the materials for the temple were ordered to search out the largest stones for the foundation and to prepare them for use on the mountain where they were procured and then convey them to Jerusalem. Imagine getting some enormous stones where they didn't have concrete so they used what they had. They got some of the largest stones that they could quarry out of the side of a mountain. But that's not the hard part, even though that sounds hard. 
The hard part was that they had precise measurements when they went to cut out these enormous stones to get them completely all the way down, procured exactly and shaped exactly the way they should be so that when they dig them out of the rock and they carry them into Jerusalem and they place them there that there was no sound of fittings. It just went right in place. Quite a place. In this part of business, Hiram's men were ordered to assist. Joseph adds that the foundation was sunk to an astonishing depth and composed of stones of singular magnitude and being very durable. Being closely mortised into the rock with great ingenuity, they formed a basis adequate to the support of the intended structure. Josephus gives us excuse me, gives to the temple the same length and breadth as are given in 1 Kings, but mentions some 60 cubits in height. Now, that you can basically break down to uh, uh, something like, I don't know, maybe, what, 90, 90 feet, something like that. 90 feet in height is a pretty tall building. He says that the walls were composed entirely of white stone and that the walls and ceilings were wainscoted with cedar which was covered with the purest gold and that the stones were put together with such ingenuity that the smallest intersects were not even, under, were not even uh, to be able to be seen and that the timbers were joined with iron cramps. The temple walls were apparently made of stonework with a row of timber inserted after each three courses of stone. Alternatively, walls of mud brick may have been raised above the bedding of cedar which rested on a stone foundation. The interior of the walls was paneled with cedar wood from floor to ceiling and decorated with a relief work of gourds, which is an egg-shaped decoration, and open flowers, cherubim and palm trees and open flowers, palms and chains and settings of precious stones. 1 Kings 6.21 refers to the inside of the house as being overlaid with pure gold, though this often is taken to refer to the decorations of the wall with inlaid gold. Can you imagine? There are some that even think that the planks that were made of silver were also inlaid with gold. Can you imagine coming into such a majestic temple? Somewhere around four hundred years afterwards, we find that Nebuchadnezzar comes in five eighty six BC and completely levels it and carts off all the gold. Then we come to the time of occupation. The Medes and the Persians take over. And then Cyrus orders for there to be a band of people that go back unto Jerusalem and to rebuild Jerusalem and a house for the Lord. 
Of course, there was a time period you'll find in the book of Ezra where there were those that tried to stop this for a season of time. But when Darius stepped into power, he went back and checked the records and found that it was already there where Cyrus had ordered it done, and then he reiterated it, and it was completed. So under the direction of Jerubbabel, Jerubbabel and Joshua, they went and they completed the task. Ezra is the scribe that records all of this that you find in the book that bears his name. But my focus today is on that second temple that was now constructed. Let me tell you a little bit more description about the second temple. Not near as much to discuss. The first colony which returned under Jerubbabel, Zerubbabel rather, and Joshua, having collected the necessary means and having also obtained the assistance of the Phoenician workmen, commenced in the second year after their return the rebuilding of the temple, spring B.C. 535. The Sidonians brought wraps of cedar trees from Lebanon to Joppa. And that's pretty much all that's given. Now, there's a lot of discussion between commentaries as to what the size was compared to the first. There were some that seemed to think that it was roughly the same size. There were others that seemed to think that the second temple was actually larger in its dimensions. But one thing was crystal clear, that the second temple didn't have near the grandeur that the first temple had. There was something different about that second temple that even though there was an excitement among the young men that had spent the time and labor to come down under the order of Cyrus King. But you know, there was something in their heart that wanted to see the house of God rebuilt. And so they really wasn't concerned too much about the grandeur of the past. What really concerned these young men was the fact they had a desire to see the work of God go forward. They had a desire to see the house of God be restored so that the Mosaic law could continue on this path and doing what was originally intended in the word of God. Which brings us down to my text to you today. Many of the priests and the chief of the fathers who were ancient men, they had seen the first house. And it was laid before their eyes the foundation of the second house. They wept with a loud voice. You got one group of people. Zerubbabel and Joshua. It's spelled Jeshua, but it's Joshua and Ezra. They were excited to finally see the foundation being laid. They had been away in captivity and their city had been decimated and destroyed 
and all hauled off into slavery. And now everything was beginning to come full circle. We could spend time as to describing the whys that the first temple was destroyed. I could talk to you a lot about how that because they turned their back on God and they allowed idol worship to be conducted even in that Solomon's temple was one of the reasons why that temple no longer existed in the first place. But that really doesn't matter on this particular day. The foundation has been laid and it's not like pouring concrete, setting down forms and waiting on it to dry, pulling away the forms, getting it all shaped up. No, these men had gone just like in the first temple. They had gone and they had cut these great stones out and cut them to such precision that when they got there, they just fitted them right into place. Large, enormous, massive stones of the foundation. And when they laid the foundation, there was a great rejoicing because now people could see that God was finally beginning to restore things to what they should have been. He was beginning to bring things back the way they should be. And everybody was excited. But there were some that began to weep because of the memories of things in which they had seen that they knew that the younger generation had never yet beheld. They knew things that had seen things occur in their generation that the new generation had no knowledge of. They had observed some things that was of a grandeur sight that yet the new generation had absolutely no understanding whatsoever. If you will, it was like one generation was standing at the mountain looking up and getting rejoicing as to the fantastic idea that the foundation had been laid and God was restoring order in Jerusalem and it caused a great rejoicing but yet another group was on the mountain of memory, looking down and remembering what God had done in the past, and they saw it from a different perception. Come on, stay with me this morning. They saw it from a different point of view. Oh, Jesus, pray with me right now. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Today, under the sound of my voice, I see two groups of people in this small building.
If you're under 35, stand with me. Not with me, I'm not 35. We got one among the wretched back here. Now, this is my purpose is not to embarrass, but I want the rest of you to look around. This is the younger generation. This younger generation, please remain standing for just a moment. Because I want to make a point that I want you to understand. This younger generation that we're seeing right now, there is a zeal and there is a desire in their spirit to see the things of God move like I've not seen in a young generation in a long time. There is a desire. There is strength. There is tremendous amount of energy in this group of people. They have their lives before them for the most part. They have strength in their bodies and don't have to worry about a lot of things that older generations are concerned with. There's things that they don't have to be bothered with right now and they have nothing but power and strength ahead of them. But yet they have made up in their minds that they're going to see the kingdom of God furthered in their generation. Until Jesus comes, there is a desire in their hearts that they would see a mighty move of the Spirit of God in their generation. Please be seated. But yet there is another group of people in this building. If you're 36 and up, I want you to stand. And yes, you can join me standing. Just for a moment. This generation. This generation has something that they have seen in the past. They have seen the glory and the power of God move. They have tested and tried and found the Lord faithful. There's things that they could tell you about how God has brought them through. And they've made it to the other side. And now that their bodies begin to age somewhat, that still they remain faithful unto the Lord. They may not have the strength and the virility of the young, but yet there's still something that drives in their soul this day that they still long for the power and the demonstration of God Almighty to move upon them, but yet their generation that stands today with me also understands that they see it from a completely different vantage point. Please be seated. A totally different perspective. It's all a matter of perspective, of learning how to perceive. It's all a matter of perception. You see, because those old men that day 
The men of ancients had remembered the old temple. They had remembered the great and marvelous things that the new generation would never see. And there was a burden that that began to grip their spirits and they began to weep and they began to cry. We could talk about the reasons they did it all day long, but I honestly believe that not one specific thing could be applied, but rather there were many reasons that there was weeping there that day because you see the generation that had stood before, that had seen the previous tabernacle uh, temple, they are the ones that had seen great things that had occurred that the new generation would never observe. You see, I've been in places even in my, I still consider myself the, the youngest of the old and the oldest of the young. But yet I can remember traveling and going different places and seeing the mighty manifestation of the presence and the power of God. I can remember men coming, running down the aisle and giving up their hearts to the Lord. And I've seen people healed I've seen people delivered of demonic spirits in their bodies I've seen great and marvelous things it's memories I can't get away from but yet still in my memories my desire is to see a move of God in this last hour like as never before and I join with the young generation and I say together we need to arise and say Lord do the work that must be done come on lift him up right now hallelujah hallelujah I heard stories told about my grandfather. He was not a licensed minister. He was what you would call today an independent minister. But he was one God apostolic. This would have been probably in the mid to late 30s. And I've told this before, but I'm going to repeat it again today. How that he was in prayer. And while he was in prayer, God came up a vision where he was preaching in a church and people were receiving the Holy Ghost and he noticed the sign that was posted over this little building somewhere beyond where he knew it was and it was just 10 top church. That's all that he knew. He got up from his prayer. He went to grandmother. Allah. Get your things together. Where are we going, Tommy? I don't know where we're going. But the Lord's sending me to a church for a revival. Well, you know where we're headed? No. I'm going to just let the Lord lead. So he got in his vehicle and he started to drive. Tom, are we almost there? No. How much longer is it going to be? I don't know. Seemed like they'd driven some, some distance. Didn't have interstate systems back then, just good old two-lane highways. 
And suddenly the Lord spoke, turn right on this gravel road ahead. So he slowed down and turned, went down this gravel road. Where are we going? I don't know. Went down the gravel road. Come to this little store. Lord says, stop here. So he pulls in. Go inside and speak to the woman inside. He goes inside. There's a woman there and she's talking to the customer so he waits his turn. Finally, she's free. and She says, can I help you, sir? He said, yes, ma'am, I'm a minister. My name is Tommy Johnson. And I want to know if there's a 10-top church around here. Why would you ask that? Well, I was in prayer. And the Lord told me to come to the 10-top church. That he would use me in a great revival there. Big old tears began to roll down that woman's cheeks. She said, I'm a member of the Ten Top Church. And my pastor's been in the pulpit every service saying, God's going to send us a revival. He's going to send a man to preach it. And I don't know when he's coming, but he's coming soon. rest of the story is there was a great revival there and the power of God fell pardon me while an old man today cries a little bit young people all that you see is what God's going to do and future's bright and the power of God's going to fall and I believe you I believe you but don't leave the memories of old time Pentecost behind Oh, we got to work together. I don't have the strength that you've got. And you don't have the memories that I've got. You don't have the experience that I've got, but I don't have your strength. And so therefore we need each other. And we've got to rely on each other. And how you see this thing may not be exactly the way that I see it. But one thing is for sure, that God has still got his hand on every generation that is in the house today. And he wants to use each and every one in this place to see a mighty, mighty move of God. Come on, somebody. Heal after the Lord right now. It's all a matter of perception. I see this thing from down the road a bit. Maybe even before I was born. But that's how that I see it. 
and I bring to the table something, and that is that there's something from the power of the past that we can associate with what God is doing now. I know that God's not going to do exactly like he did it back then. It was a different time, and God does things differently, but there's still one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God who's Father of all, above all, through all, and in you all, and he will do it according to his divine will and according to his word. I've had not had to pray for a silver dollar before. Elijah, you ever had to pray for a silver dollar? No. You've not had to want for that. Parker, have you had to pray for a silver dollar? O.R. Foss, ordinary Foss. He's gone to his reward. One of my favorite preachers. Told the story of his daddy who was a founder of the oneness movement in the early 1900s, Oliver Foss, O.F. Foss. Some of you Bible students know the name already. And O.F. Foss was standing at a steam engine train. Needing something from God, needing some money. Lord said, go to the end of the train. So he says he goes, and he walks down to the end of the train with the tracks. He said, Lord, why are you sending me all the way down here? Lord said, look down. And right there on the railroad tracks was a shiny silver dollar. And in the 30s, a silver dollar. Buy some groceries. And God provided, and God used Oliver Foss to build a mighty thing for the Lord that became the United Pentecostal Church. We are blessed to be part of this great organization. Does it have its faults? It's man-made, isn't it? Of course it has its faults. It's not all of the church. There are assemblies of the Lord Jesus Christ, the ALJC, our sister's organization. They are oneness. They believe this truth just like we do. You know, you can't just say it's just the UPC. I'm glad to be in an organization where I can be submitted to my elders. But there are others that are independent. There are some that are ALJC. There are some that are what's called WPF, Worldwide Pentecostal Fellowship. And then there's a whole a manner of different organizations out there. But I'm going to bring this to a conclusion today. Young generation, we need you. The strength of the youth bring something to the table that we can't bring. 
But yet, don't forget, youth. There are still things that we can bring to the table that you need our experience and our memories. Ecclesiastes 12.1 says, Remember now thy creator in the days of thy youth. There are young people sitting on these chairs today. You didn't have to be here. Now, some of you younger ones probably have to be. Because mom and dad make sure of that. But once you get a certain age, you don't have to be here anymore. But you're here because you want to be here. And for that, you're remembering the Creator in the days of your youth. But yet Psalm 37, in contrast to that, says, 37, 25, I have been young. And now am old, yet have I not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. These things can come together as one and say we will see a great move of God. Second Thessalonians 2.15 Therefore, brethren, stand fast. And hold the traditions of which you have been taught, whether by word or our epistle. I want you to read that again. Therefore, brethren. Brethren. Stand fast. I want you to stand fast. It means don't, don't be shaken. Remain firm. And hold the traditions which you have been taught. And hold the traditions which you have been taught. Now, just in case you think that might be a translator error, I looked that up. The word traditions literally means in the original Greek, it means traditions. Why are you making such a big deal? Because there's been such a movement among many of our younger generation. It's got to be exactly in Scripture, black and white, or I'm not going to follow it anymore. There are some things that are called traditions for a reason. Not every tradition is worthy of keeping. There used to be a tradition back in the 50s among the apostolics that everybody crowded up on the platform and sang congregations. To y'all too young to have seen that. But I've seen that. Happened, right? And the only ones that was left out here was the ones that didn't want to see or didn't have the strength to get to the platform. Am I telling it right? That's a tradition. Now that's not spelled out in Scripture. Thou shalt grab everybody in the church and wander to the front 
and sing to an empty auditorium. It's just a tradition. But yet there are other traditions that are worthy of keeping. And we could talk about it, and I don't have time to get into it this morning. I'm trying to land this plane here pretty quick. But it talks about, Paul talks about meats offered to idols. Now he said, idols nothing. It's nothing. He said, if it's going to offend my brother, then I'm going to set down a tradition right here. And I'm not going to be involved in anything like that's going to hurt my brother. And I'm paraphrasing, but I'm pretty close. I'm not going to hurt my brother. That's a tradition that I choose to keep. There are other traditions, which again, I'm not going to get into today that are slowly being cast aside by the newer generation because they demand scripture and verse. I have one scripture for them. Read that scripture again, brother. I know you've already closed it out. Hey, hey. Therefore, brethren, uh-huh. stand fast. Stand fast. And hold the, the traditions which ye have been taught. Hold on. There are certain traditions that are given. Why are they given? Because they're gray areas. They're areas for a specific time period. They may be for a specific generation. But nonetheless, they are for a certain time period, and they are based deeply in Scripture. And to cast them aside would be foolhardy. There are some traditions. I really believe in the doctrine. I believe that there's one Lord, one faith, and one baptism. I believe in Acts 2.38. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. I do believe in living a holy and a righteous life until Jesus comes. I believe it all. But yet there's some things that go above and even beyond those. And they're called traditions. Again, not every tradition is kept because they're not necessarily based in Scripture. Can't find it where everybody wanders up on the platform and sings to an empty church. It's scriptural. Honored perhaps, but not scriptural. There are certain things. I'm giving a warning to a younger generation today that as we move forward in this thing, more and more is going to come against you. And there's a spirit of the age that says, cast aside all traditions that have no specific scripture and verse. Careful. They still have spiritual content in them. And they're placed there for your protection. One more reading of scripture and we're going to let you go. First Peter 5 and 5. Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another. Stop right there. Now we look a lot of times at the top part of that thing and we overlook the next line. 
Now, it sounds like I'm coming down hard on Brother Jace on that first line. Likewise, you younger, submit yourselves unto that, and don't you forget. Yea, all of you elder. Is that the way that reads? Yea, all of you younger. How's that thing read? Yea, all of you be subject one to another. We have different ideas of way of looking at things. Now, when it comes to doctrine, when it comes to holiness, there's no private interpretation of any scripture or prophecy. That's made very clear. I'm not, I'm not giving way for that. But what I am saying is that some of your goals may be different and your perception may be somewhat different because you come from a different generation. But the bottom line is all generations must become subject one to another. And, and be clothed with humility. And be clothed. How else are you going to be clothed with humility? best way I know to be clothed with humility is submit yourself to your brother and your sister. Now I'm going to really rub the cat backwards. Brother Jace, come stand right here. I picked on him because he's right there at the corner. He's a good looking chap, ain't he? He's half well. Got to be good looking. He told me this morning there wasn't nothing wrong with his looks. But just as sure as this man, this young man, submits to his pastor. In the areas in which he's been placed in authority. I got to submit to him too. How else can there be unity in the body? If all I ever do is receive your respect, thank you, but yet I never give it out, then what kind of child of God am I? Can the work of Jesus be forwarded with that kind of spirit? It's all a matter perception go ahead for God resisteth the proud what does God do now I don't know about you but this ain't what I want to see when I come into the Lord when I go to pray this ain't the response that I want So how do I get away from my pride? Back up the train to yea and read it again. Yea, all of you be subject. Yea, most of you, just the ones that are spiritual. All of you. Huh? Come on. All of you. Most of you. 99.44%. All of you. If you don't feel up to it, it's okay. Nope. All of you. That just goes for the elders being respected, and and that's not for you know it's a one way street. You don't nope. need to, you know, you're supposed to show all the respect and 
No, sir. One to another. And be clothed with humility. How do you put on humility? Somebody told my, my daddy one time, says, you know, Pastor, I'm a very humble person. I was a teenager and I snickered. Yes, I did. I thought that was the funniest thing I'd ever heard. Be clothed with humility. How, is, how am I clothed with humility again? By being subject one to another. And that's not just elder to elder. That's youth to elder and elder to youth. Whatever the generation not just with, a lot of times we elders, we tend to count our way our own little little wheel here and our own little life. And, we, you know, we've always done it this certain way. And then suddenly, suddenly a new generation has arisen. And it's hard to let go of some old things. But God resisteth the proud. But here's what he does. And giveth grace to the humble. I can't speak for anybody, but just yours truly. I need God's grace. I need His grace. So how can I be humbled? By being subject to everybody, no matter the generation. Because you see, it's all... A matter of perception. Stand with me today.